because you tend to do that. Welcome back to HR Talk with Ricky Baez and JC. Enjoy the show. And ladies and gentlemen, we're back with another fantastic episode of HR Talk. I'm JC, guiding the ship directly into port today. And you, my dear friends, are accompanying me on the... The top deck right here. We have our captain of the ship wearing only his hat available. Please welcome the man, the myth, the legend, the guy who doesn't even know his own name after he drinks a little bit too much, Ricky Baez. Out of everything you said, I want to make it 100% clear. I'm wearing a lot more than just a hat. <laughs> I want everybody to know. There he is. He's just in wow. his boots and a little sailor hat. <laughs> Oh, Ready for HR talk. Ready for HR talkings. Oh, it's been amazing, an amazing week in the world of HR this week, Rick. It really has. So <laughs> many, so many fantastic things going on. Some that are completely horrifying, and we're going to be talking about coming up momentarily. Other things that are intriguing, and also amazing, amazing guests. And today, Rick, hmm. I do have a a segment that I want to bring out to us uh, here. Coming up in a little bit, just to tease everyone right here in the beginning, though, it's um, we sat down, I sat down with a cocktail aficionado, an internationally acclaimed star in the world of alcohol. Wow. An executive from a Fortune 500 company that's taken a trip around the globe and around his own block. And uh, he, he relates the finer points of enjoying a cocktail to building teams, teamwork, uh, your your presence and uh, communication. It's absolutely language. unbelievable. It's unbelievable. It's great stuff. So that's awesome. coming up in a little bit. Hey, Rick, how how you been? Pretty good, man. Pretty good. Uh, just uh, waiting for the holidays to show up and finally get some normalcy back into this year. So I'm excited. Hey, speaking about normalcy. Folks let you see life from another perspective. They can expand the mind and awareness. These are inspirational quotes. Let's kick you back. The funny thing about facts is that they are real whether you believe in them or not. Prophetic words from a prophetic man. Fats are real, whether you believe in them or not. That's right. Trans fat, regular fat, doesn't matter what. A-B-T-S. Oh, okay. Oh, I thought you were talking like omega-3s and stuff like that. Uh, you're getting into the, a nutritional mindset. Well, you know Some people don't believe the A6 neither, so okay, fine. I'm going to eat bacon because fat ain't real. That's how people who think like that sound. You are hysterical, let me tell you. Yeah. Hey, um, I want to open the floor to you for a second here. There there was a a very uh, intense article that you shared with me about Publix this past week. Hmm. Um, a former Publix cashier who identifies as a woman says co-workers tormented her with anti-gay and anti-transgender slurs until she suffered a nervous breakdown and had to be hospitalized. This is from the sunsentinel.com. 
In the latest in a series of accusations against the grocery giant LGBTQ employees, Publix was aware of Kevin Witter's gender identity when it hired her to work as a cashier in June 2018 at a downtown Miami store. According to a lawsuit filed Sunday in U.S. District Court in Miami, Witter's driver's license identifies her as a female. Her suit describes a series of humiliating encounters that began with store managers denying her request to dress as a woman. Before she was fired, co-workers yelled slurs at her, and a deli worker grabbed her buttocks without permission. Publix declined to respond to the case, saying though a spokeswoman, uh, uh, saying through a spokeswoman that it would be inappropriate for us to comment on pending litigation. The allegations cited in the lawsuit are shortly after she was hired, supervisors asked her to cut her hair to fit Publix's male uniform policy. The employee obliged because they needed a job. The store's customer service manager told her she could not use the restroom because she would scare women because you look like a man and you are a man and you aren't female by public standards. When Witter was asked to wear the women's uniform, the boss said she was not a female and Publix is not interested in confusing its customers. In her second month in Publix, co-workers began referring to her as a he-she or shim. When Witter complained... The boss found the situation funny and did not correct the co-worker's behavior. Later, Griffin and some of the other co-workers uh, called the new employee, Witter, Ms. Thing, Kevinisha, and Kiki. The list goes on. I'm not going to read the article verbatim. Please stop by um, what we've shared here, educational and informational. Stop by sunsentinel.com for the entire piece. This is uh, written by Ron Hurtabisi. Dated November 18th, 2020. Rick, over to you. You know, 2018, 19, 20, here we are still talking about these issues. And here we are again, scratching our heads. Where was HR? Where was senior leadership training? If that's even true at all, remember, these are all allegations at the moment, right? Because I was reading that story earlier and I'm like, yeah, I can see this happening. And for those of you that don't know, Publix is a really big supermarket brand here in the South in uh, Southeast, I don't know if they have it out West, but Publix is, uh, it's a little bit pricier than other areas, but really good experience, really good, amazing subs. Anyway, so for them, they're really family oriented. So to, to hear a story like this, to come out from that brand is shocking, but not too shocking because human beings work there. You know how human beings are. Uh, they tend to go this route. Um, even if they weren't serious, even if they were joking around, that's still a big no-no. So I just don't understand it. I wanted to talk about that story because even though this is something that can easily be fixed, here we have multi-billion dollar organizations still making that crucial mistake uh, that can really cost them in a legal courtroom um, or even the court of public opinion. And it's just, it, it's, it's sad. I mean, I don't, I don't want to laugh at it, but it's sad. One of the things, I don't, it's, I don't think you got to it, um, in that story, uh, on top of all the other allegations that you talked about, the last allegation in there is when uh, this person got fired. She was escorted out of Publix, thrown out by security guard. And I think uh, um, the security guard made some slurs, something to that effect on the while he was kicking her out. And I'm like, wow, that is so unlike Publix. Right. Although I don't know if it's a third party contractor. 
that was that was working vast security team. But then again, in that third party contractors, Publix still has some kind of responsibility. But yeah, overall messed up story. And I think Publix is either going to settle out of court or it's going to go to court and they're going to pay big time. All right. So what would you do different if you were stepping into the role as uh, the person in charge of human resources in this scenario on the on the cleanup of this process? I'm going to give you two scenarios. I'm going to give you a scenario of where I'm the HR person and I found out about this early enough and the scenario where I found out after the fact. Right. So here is the scenario um, uh, before the fact. So as soon as I see that complaint and every HR person out there knows this, take every single complaint seriously. I mean, I'm, and I mean, seriously. Don't take your time with it. Investigate each complaint like it was it's it's the the JFK investigation. I mean, I'm exaggerating there a little bit, but you cannot not take this seriously. So as soon as something like that would hit HR, which I don't know if they called HR, which begs the question, does this employee even know there is an avenue other than their his or her leadership to have conversation? Right. So that's why it's important to communicate that through new employee orientation, even more important than new employee orientation is management training. If there was any kind of management training, and I mean really good training, I'm not talking about let's come over, have some coffee and donuts, let's laugh a little bit and go back to work. I'm talking about when there's actual transfer of knowledge to where the associates, the managers are exhibiting the behaviors that leadership want them to exhibit and they can actually quantify it. And that's what I would have done. I would have had some monthly or even quarterly training to make sure the employees know what avenues of approach they have and the managers know what not only to look for, but how to handle these situations, even if nobody complains, how to spot it. Now, in, in that given scenario, before we talk about your, your, your second perception, that being finding out after the fact, you know what? Let me let me hold this. Let me reserve this. Please continue. And then I'll circle back to this point. So if um, if I get a call from this associate because she got fired, I'll listen to her story. And what was realized in this EEOC complaint in South Florida, if I hear exactly those things, I will investigate. I'll get statements from everybody involved. And if any any of that is corroborated, I'm bringing that associate back, maybe not to that same Publix, but to a different Publix. But I'm going to hold those managers accountable, that security team accountable and everybody that was involved in giving this this person such a hard time because what he or she this is in general, what he or she wants to do, what they want to identify with has got nothing to do with how they conduct their regular duties at work. One of the things that I found striking about what you said in that article, JC, is that the the manager said you don't look like what a woman looks like according to public standards. Publix doesn't dictate what a woman or a man looks like. Only they only dictate if you decide to identify as a woman, this is how you should dress. If you decide to identify as a man, this is how you should dress. But how you identify, that's not up to Publix, that's up to the employee. Publix has a uh, headquarters in Lakeland, Florida. A total of 1,252 locations within the United States. They're big. CEO has been in place since 2016. So when you're talking about the proper training across the board, oh, one other 
important fact to mention as as we move forward on this. The aver- uh, the the hiring age to begin working at Publix is 14 years old. In some instances, that could be true. So yeah. so now putting everything on the table, they've, they've had a CEO that's been longstanding. They have many, many locations. And I'm sure that there's a probably a decent rate of turnover. I mean, if they are hiring people that are 14, 15, 16 years old, they might be, you know, cashing, stocking, doing what they have to do. They're heading back to school. They might have uh, some career length type employees, but it, it might be a little bit transient in a way. You might have a, a, a lack of culture through an evolution of trying to retain your employees over a span of time. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. You know, just just poking in the dark here. Now, mm-hmm. when you have that many locations, 1,252 locations, what are you talking? You're, you're the HR guy. You're talking about doing some training like this. You're going to travel to every single site. You're going to spend 1,252 days talking to people. You're going to do a, a, a conference call with just the, the managers. How, how would you do that when you're attempting to change the culture on the heels of something this size? There would be two different steps here. The first step is to address the issue directly with that store connect with that regional vice president and ask that regional vice president in that area, what is he or she doing to make sure that your associates, managers, everybody involved knows what avenues they have in case they have an issue and knows everything about harassment, how not to do it and how to spot it if nobody reports it. If that RVP, it's like, I don't know, I'm going to have some deeper questions. Why don't you know? Why isn't this as important as your quarterly, quarterly numbers? And and let's be be honest, let's be honest, more than likely a situation like this that's been brewing and gotten to this point, more than likely they have no idea at that level that these things are taking place. That's a problem. (laughs) That's a problem. And they more than likely already have programs in place to properly educate and train people along the way. Whether or not it's taken serious is a different thing. So so let me put this at you this way. You're an organization that's well-established like this for, for many, many years. I, I believe they've been around since the 1930s or 40s. I think there 19, was... A, go ahead. No, I think 1950s or 60s, yes. Right, 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 right. So they're just as old as food itself, okay? <laughs> they've, been, they've been around. They know what they're doing, right? Back huh? in the day, we would deliver the milk via glass. You know, things have changed, right? Now the people come to them. So they're already set to go. They, they've, they've got some policies. They've grown. They're doing very big things. They're in good spots, right? Mm-hmm. The continuing yeah, education, are. though. How do you follow up on that? So, uh, so here's my hypothetical to you. Okay. You're walking into this organization because at this time, their senior leadership says, hey, and, and purely hypothetical, everyone. But they listen to the show and they say, look, Ricky Baez knows what he's talking about. Let's bring him on to fix this. And you walk in and you see that all the policy manuals are in in spec. You see that the training programs and plans are in spec and things look great and good. And that all this information is already there. You're not having to reinvent the ship, but you need to write its course. Talk to me about that. So. I'm not going to reinvent the ship. I'm going to reinvent the motivation and I'm going to reinvent the, the seriousness on, on, on how they take these training courses. Because remember, you can have a really good training course on harassment, anti-harassment and what to look for with harassment to make sure that we're being fair and concise with our associates, but it's going to fall on deaf ears if 
nobody's cheerleading it. So one of the things I would do is I would have a conversation with that president. I would have a conversation with the executive board and say, what do you know? Are you championing this training? Are you showing your associates how okay. serious important this is? Okay, and the response. Here we go. Uh, yes, yes, we are, and yes, we know. We put that in place back in 2018. Um, this this one-off instance, we have no idea how it happened because every single store is reporting uh, according to the 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 data that we have, all the boxes have been checked and every single employee has already done that training. They have to do it when they onboard. So they're already aware that that happens and it's written in a policy manual. What more do we have to do? So if you put a policy in place that's supposed to generate some money and you see that it's not generating, it's not generating the money you expected, are you just going to sit there and be like, hey, it's in there. It's, it's the policy's there. What else can I do? No, you're going to address it. So if you see that you've got those things in place, yet you see stories like this, it's not generating the value you thought it was going to generate. So you need to get pop that hood, get underneath the hood and figure out what piece in that engine failed that's causing the whole car to stall. All right. Because that's exactly what's going to happen. So, so let's go hypothetical here even further down that rabbit hole. So now we hypothetically establish that they have things in place, that they're doing what they feel that they need to do. They're communicating Maybe not as consistently, or maybe the message is being misconstrued, or who who knows. But there's something that's broken between the employee that's hired, that's working on the floor, that that frozen middle manager, and the, the person that's maybe actually in charge of that local facility. Or maybe the person that's above that from the regional perspective as as that VP. So there's something broken specifically right there. Where where do you drill in? Yeah, you start you start firing people. No, you don't start firing people. You got to figure out what's going on. Oh, right? okay. Yeah. Before you decide you need NyQuil, you have to understand whether you have the cold or not. Right. So here's what you need to don't do. Don't even because it's probably COVID and don't because it's been a tough <laughs> year. Okay. Well, Dolly Parton helped us out with that. All good. We got to talk about that later. Yeah. I have no. no idea what you're talking about with that one. Dolly Parton? Yeah. Wow. Okay. All right. I'll jump in on that later on. All so right. here's the thing. Right. So. Obviously, the CEO, when this thing first hit, like really in that store and it became an issue in that store, I don't expect the CEO or the executive leadership to be aware because if they're running a tight ship and they're running a culture of trust type of an environment, they should be able to trust their leaders below them and their teams that report up to them should be able to nip that in the butt, no pun intended, and make sure that it's done over with before it goes anywhere else. So if you go to the executive vice president, they don't know. Okay. Let's go to the uh, um, uh, regional VPs. I don't know. Let's go over to the uh, senior directors and keep going down. At some point, this got to somebody and they made a decision not to bubble it up even more or address it. So I'm going to drill down until I get to that point and I'm talking to that person, that, and, to that leader. And then why you fire that person. Not yet. Okay. I need to understand why it stopped here. Oh, that's right. That's right. We don't have to fire the people. We look at their talents, skills, and abilities, and maybe we reassign them. So instead of being in charge of the store, you're in charge of milk deliveries now. Oh, you're right. Because if you go ahead and you did this, and because of your lack of leadership, this happens, we are going to reassign you to a customer. And now you can, you can shop anywhere you want. You got 40 hours a week that you can do whatever you want with. Reassign you to a customer. That's right. <laughs> I'm firing you <laughs> and promoting you to a customer. Boom. Done. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Never really yeah. thought of it that way. That's a that's a that's a strong catchphrase. That's a, but they, they taught you that in your Sherm classes. 
right? That that that's like on the back of a card somewhere or something, right? I, Don't forget I, I, to I, promote them to a customer. That was from my Orange County days. Oh, so okay, we're gonna, okay. To a, to a citizen, and then I went ahead and did it to. Uh, so uh, so as of right now, we're still in the work week. We're still in the work week. Things are crazy. We're not we're not talking about cocktails yet. It's it's not time for the weekend. And and say this happened earlier in the week, and now the next day comes around, and and you're in the midst of all this, and and you're getting things squared away, and you're drilling down, and you're trying to figure out who's who, what's what, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and you get that feedback. You get that feedback directly from someone you talk to further down the chain, and they just very clearly say to you, "What gives you the right? Who are you? Who do you think you are? You're just HR." I'm the one who's going to keep you from getting your ass handed to you in court. Okay. And so, I'm going to keep you from spending $3 million to prevent an issue that a simple understanding, simple training could have avoided. That's so, so the perception of like the entire God complex thing that gets tossed around with human resource leaders and managers, is that a real deal? Is that something you got to contend with? <laughs> I want to meet the business partner that looks at HR and think they have a God-like complex. <laughs> I mean, look, uh, David Miklas put out a fantastic article on LinkedIn going back a few months about this. The HR God complex. <laughs> I have yet to meet a business partner that way. Now, patting my own back here because I, I, I focus on building good relationships. But even be, before I had that that motivation to build good relationships, it, it's it's often never looked at us as as the people that had the guy come, they looked at us as the annoying stepkid that always gets involved when they shouldn't get involved and they mess things up. Okay. That's so, th- so there it is. So there it is. So let's break those two apart. So then you've, you've got the one person who thinks there's a gob complex and what gives you the right, just like in the TV show, the office. Right. And then over <laughs> yeah. on the other side, you've got the perception of why would anyone come to you with anything? Why, <laughs> why would anyone come to all you're going to do? is ruin our lives. You're a snitch. If we bring things to you, you are, as human resources, you're just going to ruin everything. You're going to make our lives worse. It's going to be more complicated. I can't even come to you with an actual issue where I'm looking for advice because you're going to turn around and tell my manager. You're going to break our trust and erode that culture. What about that perception of HR? Let me tell you why I'm not going to break your trust, right? Because for me to break your trust, I will have to make you a promise that I'm going to break. And I will never make you a promise that I'm going to break. Because if you come to me with an issue, I'm going to be upfront and honest with you before we start having a conversation and let you know. Even if you say, hey, look, I got to talk to you, but this is confidential. I'm going to stop you right there before you continue on and let you know. Hold on. If you're going to tell me something that is in a business capacity or legally I have to investigate, I can't keep that confidentiality. I need you to understand that. Now, that might tell the associate, oh, then I'm not going to say anything. That's up to the associate, right? But I'd rather keep that trust. Okay. I'd rather keep that respect there. To me, that's, that, that relationship building trait is more important than what they're going to tell me. All right. So you're in a different capacity. You're in a different position to where that perception that you can't be trusted, it's... Mm-hmm. It kind of might be on the table. It might be perceived that way, but you're keeping it up front. You're letting people know when you come here, it's core business. So let me let me ask you something then. Is it also your core business to have those good discussions with those in charge and influence them and or have discussions with those managers that are in the middle from a business perspective? 
on teaching them how to be better mentors, on teaching mm-hmm. them how to be people that could maybe not necessarily break the bounds of confidentiality, but how you could step up and be a different type of leader that doesn't necessarily have to throw every single employee's feet to the flames so that you promote them to a customer. But you have the job of the day-to-day task of keeping people up to date because technically that's not your job, right? It is though, right? Because, but it I'll, can't be. I'll, it is, but it's well, not. It's on a different level, right? Because if I've been in this organization for a while, bro, we talk about this almost every day in this show. It's yeah, I building. Know. If I if I spent, I I was talking to a leader about two months ago, and she said something to me that really stuck with me, right? Because uh, she and I were talking about one of her managers, and they, they, this particular manager is on a program. Right. Uh, and and when we're, we're talking about this manager, is, is it by chance the, a Thursday night cocktail program? Just curious. No. OK, no, go on. <laughs> it's not. OK, so um, one of the things that she told me is, Ricky, we we haven't had the opportunity. She hasn't had the uh, the manager hasn't had the opportunity to exhibit those leadership skills. And I'm like, whoa, stop right there. I don't understand what you mean by that. She hasn't had the opportunity. As soon as she goes to work, there's the opportunity. What does that mean? That means that as a leader or as HR, whatever, how you build credibility is that you show what you bring to the table every single day and not having to wait for a situation to arise. What does that mean? If I focus on you as the individual to build that personal relationship and then I focus on your business as a business partner, not just what I need to do from an HR point of view, but me really trying to understand what your goals are, that vision, and then me taking my HR folks and aligning their talents, everything they bring to the table to those goals, and you see me really truly trying to help and not getting in your way, that builds credibility because they see me as an ally, not somebody that gets in the way. If I do that every single time I'm at work and everything that I do, they see me doing that. When a situation comes up, they're not going to question where I'm coming from because they know who I am and they know how we work. And let's get granular with this then. And I agree with you 110 percent there. But the average employee is going to look at you with a lack of trust. They're going to look at you as someone that's strictly in the corner of management. I don't feel comfortable taking my complaint up the chain and getting HR involved. I don't want them involved. I don't feel comfortable with that. And nor is it your place to get granular and and be that soundboard for them from a, hey, I need confidentiality with you for a minute. You're going to lay it out in the beginning. No confidentiality here. We're looking at at the best interests of the organization and everyone. Minimal, minimal, right, minimal. So, So to that, getting granular, that's where through your influence and your realignment, you can help provide the proper training to bring those managers that are in the middle up to speed on how to be a better mentor and how to be someone that promotes that culture of trust and not be the individual. Not everything has to come to HR, but you do need to have a, a backbone and people skills. And if you need some advisement, come ask you. So, so to that, if they come ask you, if they do not disclose the names of the employees involved, could they still seek standard advisement from you on how they could be a better mentor in building the culture of trust, or are you going to drill in, start an investigation, want the names so that we can file the lawsuits and get things squared away? 
No. So here, I would want to know why you don't trust HR, right? So HRs or anybody in human resources, their first inclination is going to go on defense. But wait a minute. No, we're trustworthy. Oh, since you said so. Okay, now I believe you. It doesn't work that way, right? So, the, so instead of going on defense to show them why we are trustworthy, the best way to really open up and get them to trust you is for you to address their concern. Don't just ignore their concern. That's a valid concern. Right. And so then document it and then turn that into proper <laughs> no, information no. for the lawsuit and get the lawyers and get ready because now let's fire people and your no, HR. No, no. That's what you're going to do. Always have to do the right thing. And from an HR perspective, you really should take it to you. You should really take their concern and address it first. Why don't you trust HR? Help me understand how you got to that rationale. And then they'll tell me. And then it's obviously something bad happened to them where they didn't trust HR. Fine. So I can't change what happened in the past. And that's what I'll tell them. I wasn't involved in that. But I'm looking at you in the eye right now, letting you know right now. I don't work. It's my what, what I'm about to do is not to take your side. It's not to take management side. It's not even to take the organization side. It's to be fair. And whatever happens in fairness, whether it's taking your side or the management side, whatever side, that's what's right for the company, right? Because even if the reason that happens because the manager is an a-hole and all the stars, everything, all the evidence points to that because I have to follow that evidence, then I'm going to get rid of that a-hole manager. If, if the employee is the a-hole, I'm going to get rid of the employee. And what if you're if the I, a-hole? That you know what? Maybe Are you going to fire yourself? <laughs> well, no. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Because see, this is where training is important and new employer orientation. That's when you should have multiple avenues of approach for any associate that may have an issue, right? Because a lot of organ I've seen this before. A lot of organizations say, "You got a problem? Go to your manager." Well, that sucks. What if my manager's a problem? How's that conversation going to go? <laughs> but you touched my butt. Oh, I did. Let me investigate myself. This shit don't work, right? <laughs> So if, if this is the real if, talk I'm talking about now, this is the reality. Yeah, go yeah, on, go it on. Is, right? So, so then it's it, 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 so you tell the employees, look, if you're not comfortable with your manager, go to HR. You're not comfortable with HR, then go to corporate. Outside of that, I don't know what else to tell you. Just leave then, because if you don't trust anybody doing anything. But let me tell you, if you go out and get an attorney, that attorney is going to ask you, did you give us the opportunity to rectify the issue? And you're going to have to say no, because we're telling you go to HR. We're telling you go to your manager. Now, there, if somebody happened to me before. There's the um, reality of the situation right there. There's the cold, cold hard reality. I'm going to get a lawyer. I'm going to pursue this. I'm going to the union. And, and here's what I tell people. That is your right. But let me save you 350 bucks an hour. For telling you something for free that they're going to tell you. You got to give us the opportunity to rectify. I'm here trying to help you. They're going to charge you for that. Right here, you're getting paid by, by, by the hour talking to HR. I know you don't trust me, but I need you to give me that opportunity because at the end of the day, I need to make sure that whatever is happening and it has been proven, I need to rectify it. Let me tell you, right, because if I say I'll fix it and I can't do it to lack of evidence, then I look like boo-boo the fool, right? But here's what I tell people. Just because it wasn't proven, it doesn't mean it didn't happen. It just means you didn't have enough evidence to bring forward a case. So at the end of the day, please understand that when you, when you um, uh, pull that trigger, 
to, to say, I'm going to file a complaint, you have to understand what kind of pool you're stepping into. Because if you have no evidence, are you ready for that emotional roller coaster? Are you really ready for that? Because it may not go anywhere unless the person admits it. And that's highly unlikely unless they're high on crack, which I have seen people admit crazy things when they're high on crack. <laughs> Funny story for later. <laughs> right? But I guess what I'm saying is, is that if I'm honest with them and say this may not go nowhere if you have nothing, but. I'm going to go ahead and investigate any because that's what I'm supposed to do. But I'm letting you know your uh, your percentage of of winning or losing or whatever outcome you're expecting. It may not be it. If I'm if if I'm real with them that way, bro, trust me, they're going to believe in you. So with the emotional roller coaster of what you might be getting yourself into, you might already be on an emotional roller coaster dealing with these crazy things being thrown at you, dealing with the sense of like a devaluation of who you are as a human at the same time. So maybe your best bet is just to shut your mouth, do your job, take the abuse and try to climb the ladder and change the culture when you finally become a manager yourself, right? Absolutely not. Nobody oh, okay. deserves to go to work in, those, in that situation. But I'm being honest with you. Yeah. I'm being honest with you. If you cut to me and say, hey, so I saw so, uh, a manager touch another employee. Oh, who? I'm not going to tell you that. Well, sh what am I supposed to do with that? Am I supposed to ask every manager, did you touch an employee? What? No. So I'm not going to tell you who, but if you check camera five at 1232 <laughs> PM on Tuesday, you're going to find out. That's good information though, right? That's good information. And I didn't Give tell you. Well, I mean, how am I supposed to know? <laughs> but I didn't tell you to check the camera. But, but let's say you did because you were worried, right? I'm here asking you for a name. You're like, I'm not going to give you a name, but I want you to check this camera. Right, right, All right. right. That's you to work with. But then on the back side of that, said employee turns to you and says, but I didn't tell you. I didn't tell you that. I didn't tell you <laughs> no, nothing. Okay. Well, you know what? Here's the thing, right? You didn't tell me. I completely get it. I got somebody on the security team who's supposed to be auditing these things five times a week. Oh, look at that. That ended up in the audit. Whoa, what happened here? Hey, Bob. Why are you so so loosey-goosey with Stephanie? That's an issue. Let's have a conversation. Well, look, okay, thanks. I'm Bob now. Um, I heard that Tim was going to come and talk to you about that. Did he talk to you about that? He said that he was going to make a big deal about this. What does that have to do with you touching somebody? Bob just got fired. <laughs> Bob don't know what to say. All right, so, so in our timeline here, of uh, gentle reconstruction and talking about the the fun things that that happen with HR. How many times do you find yourself like in the middle of the week, even like right now? Let's hypothetically say you're you're Wednesday, Thursday. You've just been dealing with this all week, all this insanity, right? And you know it's going to be hitting the papers sometime soon. What do you do to unwind? How do how do you break that down, man? <laughs> He's falling off camera, laughing out of his chair right now. Like, you're not going to take that home with you. You need to leave that at the office, right? Easier said than done, bro. Let me tell you. Um, and I've shared the scotch with you. I've got the scotch that's really expensive, and it lasts me about six, seven months. And it's 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 really good scotch. Stuff, scotch. I thought it was whiskey that you were into. It's scotch. Okay. Gotcha. Isn't scotch a form of whiskey? Yeah, well, it's okay. It's different, though. It's fine. It's a different base. It's a different it. base. Yeah. Yeah. It's so it, it's it's just so smooth. And uh, lately, 
I'm finding that um, I'm dipping into my stash a little bit more than normal. And now um, it's down to two months that I have to replace that bottle. All right. <laughs> so see. so it's fair yeah. to say that those in human resources might be slightly alcoholic. Uh, no, 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 no. Come no, on. No, I'm no, only no, kidding. No. I'm, I'm not kidding. saying I'm that. But with, with <laughs> what we deal with every day, it I wouldn't I would not sh- uh, look down on anybody that turns to the bottle a little bit more than normal because of what they do every day because I know what they do every day. Do you look for right? a uh, do do you look for a group type setting and and just roll that credit card out and and get crazy with you and 300 of your closest <laughs> friends lighting tables on fire and jumping in them or or do you like do you do it by yourself? Do you do you just go home sit down and and watch the dog on your lanai. I mean, how, how, how are you relaxing in these scenarios? Let me tell you something funny. Um, you know, I live in a state where I am allowed to go out with 300 people and have a scotch. But I choose not to. I choose to be at home uh, looking at my dog in the lanai, finding treats in the backyard. Um, so, so that's what I end up doing anyway. Uh, you know, it, it, it's I go out back after a hard day. Um, I need about an hour to decompress. And then my wife comes home and she needs an hour to decompress. And we got some drinks in the backyard just to uh, we're finding that we're doing the, that a lot more. Although it's good because, you know, it's, it, it's it's she and I are conversing. We don't have our devices. We have a rule about devices and just uh, having dinner or relaxing. Um, but uh, I'm doing that more often than not these days. <laughs> Yeah, it sucks, bro. So I had the opportunity to sit down yesterday with a internationally acclaimed cocktail aficionado. Oh. Affectionately known currently as Mac Radner, formerly known as Will Albers, about to be known as Will Albers once again. This part of the story is going to reveal itself coming up momentarily. But he was featured, he as well as a group of people, were featured as executives from around the Detroit area that took an opportunity to head out into the community. And uh, they they pretty much uh, revealed a whole new side of enjoying cocktails oh. after hours. Okay. So with that being said, I want to play the clip. And compared to other times, please just jump right in at any point in time where, where you got something to say. Just let me know. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. It's time for cocktails with Mac Radner. No, it's not Mac Radner. It's Will Albers, ladies and gentlemen. Will Albers, cocktails with Will Albers today. How are you doing, yeah, sir? Excellent. Uh, I'm doing excellent. I, I wish I had a couple of more cocktails in me before this call, but I've got one or two, so we should be in a really, really good spot. <laughs> hey, um, so what's this story about Mac Radner? Before we begin, because, <laughs> because ultimately... I've I've known you for so long. I am so old, Will. I really am. And when I think back to how long I've known you and and the AMC Eagle and getting pulled oh, over, God, the first and, car ever. Yeah, wow, that's awesome. Wow, crazy Thirty times. years, my friend. Many times. Uh, many years. Yeah, many yeah. years. Very very big years. Very long years. So when we <laughs> <laughs> when we talk to different people about cocktails and cocktail aficionados, your name is on the board. Around the Great Lakes, you are a legend. And and there was this thing I saw. It was scratched into like one of one of the door stools inside of a local uh, speakeasy. And it said, I drink with Mac Radner. And then I saw your name online as Mac Radner. I'm like, oh, my gosh, he made it officially. He changed his name. That's not your real name anymore, though, right? I mean, what's the story no, 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 of Mac no. Radner to Will Elbers? Look, um, you know, everyone wants to talk crap about Detroit, Michigan. But I've got to tell you, next to Buffalo, New York, 
Detroit, Michigan is the best place in the whole entire country to live. It's an outstanding place. The food, the culture, the drinks, phenomenal. Love it. The neighbors I thought were phenomenal. And this is where that name comes from, right? Uh, we recently sold our place. So we can move back to New York. And we're going to be back in Buffalo here really, really soon. And we had this really interesting, strange neighbor. It worked out well for a while, but we had moved out. He was a little funky. We had the cameras in your house, you know, the internet cameras. And oh, yeah. we're living in the Toronto area. But we had cameras on this house we're selling. Out of nowhere, I get a little notice. I look at the camera. My neighbor's walking through my house. Why? He's got a bunch of people with him walking through my place, checking it out. Not like, not like he was trying to sell it on? for you or something while, while you were at work, right? No, they just decided to break in. They literally <laughs> decided to break in to take a look around. Wow. And I have it on camera. And I'm like, WTF? And I talked to the wife. I'm like, did you tell him to go in? And No. And so I get ticked and i call the cops we call the cops on him and absolutely the, the story gets really kind of awkward i tried to get him on breaking and entering it didn't work we got him on trespassing and then crap went down oh, they wow. decided to throw like weird lawsuits at us to try to stop the sale of the home what? they said that i had an illegal downspout on my gutters that created an eight thousand dollar sinkhole in their backyard Right, because Detroit wasn't bad enough before that. No, that's fine. It's good. It's okay. <laughs> I, don't I got know you. what the right. deal was. It, it, this was like <laughs> an ego crazy. thing. I've got a bad. It's just an ego thing. Yeah. yeah so yeah, yeah. I mean, we got through that whole thing. It didn't cost me anywhere close to that. It was just really, really silly. You know, another time, Jim, I'll have another story for you where they thought I was a sex worker and they tried to put it around the neighborhood. I'll bring that up totally another time. Oh, we are going to sit down for cocktails in person <laughs> and talk about that one on the good mics. They really thought I was a sex worker. Okay. But beyond that, beyond that, uh, I changed my name to Mac Radner uh, because I found him like searching me out on the internet and all sorts of crap. And Mac Radner is the lead character from the movie Bad Neighbors. Excellent move. Smart right, choice. I'm sure they have no idea what it means, right? And to me, it was really funny. It was just, it was very funny to me. Uh, what I didn't realize was if you change your name on Facebook, you're stuck with that name for 60 days. You can't change it back. Whoa, 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 JC. He really changed, like legally changed his name to Mac. He really did no, no, that? No, no, no. He, he changed his name on Facebook to be Mac Radner Not, and then got okay. stuck that way. And now he's trying to come back. I'm intrigued. So, uh, hence the legend of Mac Radner. <laughs> yeah, right. So now I'm like right. 20 days before I can go back to being named Will. And it's really confusing. <laughs> but that's why. All hey, right, man. That's why. So, uh, so when the when the work week is done, one of the things that these HR people talk about all the time, and and doesn't matter if they're in the C-suite or they're on the floor or they're just in school <laughs> trying to trying to learn about leadership and management, right? They they constantly yeah. talk about drinking. I kind of borderline <laughs> think that Sherm might be a, a, a drinking club more than anything. I'm kidding. I'm kidding, of course. But, uh, you know, people people say at the end of the week, yeah, I can't wait to get off work and have a cocktail. And I had a yeah. conversation with someone this week. I said, cocktail, what are you, you going to have? Oh, I just put a splash of vodka in the cranberry and I call it done. I'm like, is that really a cocktail? <laughs> like, yeah, it's kind of a cocktail. So what? We need to break this down and learn a little bit more about what really makes yeah. a good cocktail versus just throwing a few things together like we used to oh. do in the high school days, right? Yeah, right. I mean, that's a really good way to put it, Jim. Um, a cocktail is not a rum and coke. Now, a cocktail is not vodka and soda. A cocktail is not that crappy thing you got in the college bar. I mean, literally, it is 
but it's not. And this is where the big separation between, like, I want to say young drinking versus old drinking. I don't want to say immature drinking versus mature drinking because all drinking is immature. There's no doubt about right, it. Right, right. I got you. as our taste buds change, you find that certain things become a lot more pleasurable. And it's not that super sweet, crappy cocktail we had when we were 20 trying to get drunk. <laughs> this is about that thing that relaxes you and you start picking it apart. You find the little nuances in the flavor. You wonder what went into it. You wonder about the history. You think about what you're drinking. That's a cocktail. That's an experience. That's a journey. That's a big difference. Now, Maybe we should talk about that. Now, we're, we're not talking about pouring a, a certain type of liqueur over a, a sugar cube and you're going to get high while you drink it at the same uh, time. <laughs> or are we? I don't know. We could. Look, no. I, I've done. I have absolutely had the traditional absinthe, I, a wonderful, wonderful cocktail. And even within absinthe, it has certain oils in it. And you can taste the differences between different absinths to really find, again, that little nuance that makes a good one versus a bad one. We are well beyond the idea. Yes, okay, Ricky, go on. Yeah, 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 yeah. This is good. I got to jump in. Uh, damn it, I wish I was there. <laughs> I really wish I, I was there. You're killing me that you weren't. Because um, I get what he's saying. I completely understand about the journey, right? In college or it, it's or in the military, right? We just want to get to that destination fast. And he's right. As your taste buds change, you start to appreciate different things, right? Now you focus more, more on the journey than the destination. But I don't sit back and think about the history of it. I mean, that's a little bit too far-fetched. Do you? Do you sit back and drink a a really good cocktail and you're like wow i wonder when this uh, was made. i'm gonna tell you prior to my was. discussion with him no not really maybe a couple times okay but as he further reveals he brings something to the table that really gets you thinking about this that's going to change your perspective check this out it's getting drunk but i will tell you absinthe will get you drunk really really fast <laughs> very gotcha. potent very, very potent, but a great experience. It's definitely a great experience. All right. So end of the week, someone turns around. They say they, they're looking to go have a cocktail. It's been a rough week. Mm -hmm. Where where do they start? Where do they even begin in this this journey of appreciation? Yeah. Yeah. It's a, I still like that journey. So let's I want to ask you a, a question about your question. Anything. Are they going in our little hypothetical situation here? Sure. Are they going by themselves to sit down and reflect? Are they going out with other people to have a discussion? Well, first, let's face it as a time to sit down and reflect. And then after that, they may meet up with a few friends a little bit later on. Love it. Absolutely love it. So I, I did this a lot. This was my relaxation piece. This was me going to sit down to focus on something very specific. In my case, it was to find a new cocktail, to explore and find something I hadn't tried before, and to have a conversation with the bartender. One of the best things about classic cocktails, of course, is the taste. Please be wrong, right? But the, the second sure, best sure. thing is probably the history. To learn what went into the cocktail, why it was created, when it was created, why is it still here? Why hasn't it changed over the past 50 years? Yeah, That's a wonderful conversation to have when the last thing you want to do is talk about work. The last thing you want to do is talk about work. And that's exactly why I would go out. Uh, it's probably, and I'm going to recommend this, the best time for a cocktail for somebody who's professional in their 40s, their 50s, or 60s, it's not a Friday night. It's totally not a Friday night. I think the best night across the week is a Thursday night. 
Why is that? There's enough people going out. Okay. There's enough people going out, right? But you get to go into a bar and you get to sit down at the bar. It's not super crazy. You could sit down. You could take your time. You could talk to the bartender. You can ask him, hey, uh, what do you really like? What, what are you into? Have you been working on anything interesting that you haven't like shared with anyone yet? Can yeah. I give it a shot? And can we talk about it? You wind up making interesting conversation and friends with bartenders over time. So this is totally different. This journey is not about the cocktail anymore. It's now about engaging with other people, learning about what's in their craft, sampling the craft and giving back like feedback and discussion back and forth. This is an experience. This is a probably a new group that you get to engage with because for 50 hours a week, you're constantly focused on this other group. So you you could be that leader, that decision maker. You could be in a position where you're you're draining yourself dry. And then this Thursday night comes along. We're going to use the key word here, right? You pivot, you head out, mm-hmm. you take that opportunity for yourself as someone experiencing something new. Maybe you're not yep. comfortable with feedback. Maybe you're not good with communication. So what you're mm-hmm. saying is this gives you that extra chance to uh, expose yourself to someone new, be a little vulnerable and learn a little bit more about the cocktail and maybe even grow your communication skills. It'll benefit you in the office having a cocktail at oh, the end of the day. A hundred percent. Look, I am one of those non-social people. If you want to go into the whole Briggs test, I am an introvert across the board, but I fake it at work. I a hundred percent fake it at work. When I go out drinking, I haven't decided if I'm faking it yet. I think I'm sincere. When I engage with that one bartender to talk about something, a passion, I'm suddenly an extrovert. I mean, like a sincere extrovert. Yeah. It's a nice change. It's it's totally different. It's a new will or a different will. And sometimes you need to have those personas to break apart the monotony, to change the stress that might be in your life, and to give you a new perspective. Talking about the actual drink itself. Now, sure, it's yeah. just you and me talking right now, but my co-host, <laughs> sure. Ricky Baez, he's a huge whiskey fan. Uh, he'll, sure. he'll take a drive and buy these crazy whiskeys, go yeah. go sit home on the lanai, watch his little dog run in the, run in the sand by the beach, and he'll yeah. just sip it on the rocks. Is that a cocktail? Oh, interesting. Uh, it is not a cocktail. Uh, a base is a base is a base, right? Whiskey's a base, gin's a base, a base is a base is a base. To understand and really focus on the base alone is not a cocktail, right? It is a, you're right, it's a whiskey aficionado. The fact that you said on the rocks is something that I find really, really interesting. Uh, I do not drink my bases on the rocks. I find that delusion changes the flavor, and sometimes it can be to the benefit. You want it to happen. Sure. But I normally, when I try a base, I want to understand the base exactly how it was created, crafted by the bottle, and then change it into something over time. Right. So, anyways, my. Okay. I got to jump in, bro. All right. Um, Stop saying you got to ju- just jump in. Go, 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 go. Yeah. Spot on, bro. <laughs> he is 100% spot on. First of all, first of all, I start. I did start with. Uh, having scotch on the rocks. But then I, I started thinking the way he does, it it changes things. So I, I quickly switched to just straight up, straight up scotch, room temperature, sitting in the back, chilling, relaxing on the base. Sorry, had to jump in. Go ahead. For time. Right. So anyways, my point is, is I don't believe that a base is a cocktail. 
Now, take that base and add one significant change in flavor to it. Kind, kind of we like have a it. very simple cocktail. Kind of like adding the Coca-Cola to your whiskey. It is. No, no doubt about it, right? And you're right. Literally, whiskey and Coke, uh, whiskey and ginger ale, which I think is a fantastic beverage. Fantastic. Sure, sure. Um, it's a cocktail. All right, totally so, so, but that's a baby step, right? Where, where do you go with a whiskey from there, though? Just using that as an example. Or, or do you have a different base that you would prefer to uh, give some examples of how we take those steps up the ladder? Uh, right on. Okay. Uh, I think everyone should try every base. I don't think all at the same time. And I don't think all in the same evening. But I think when you look at drinking cocktails, you should start to focus on groups of cocktails and experiment a bit to understand as much as you can before you move on to the next one. Right, I'm going to give you some examples of this. Certainly. Uh, I've had tons of folks say, I am not a gin person. I eat gin. And now, I personally think vodka is just incomplete gin. Now, that could be a totally another story, right? But uh, I've had a lot of people say, I'm not a gin person. And you can provide them with a cocktail built off of gin that suddenly changes their mind completely. And they'll say, this is gin? Yeah. This is crazy. I never thought of it that way. To take something you don't like and find something you like about it is that awesome journey. Now, flip side. It's perfectly reasonable to say there's a cocktail out there and a base out there you don't like. That's cool. I got it. I'm with you. And I've got to say right now, that might be whiskey for me. Really? Not because I don't like it, because I've drank so much of it. And I'm realizing there's so much more out there. Yes. I've taken whiskey and pushed it off to the side. Pushed gotcha. it off to the side. Gotcha. Now, I do want to talk about cocktails with whiskey, though, for a second. Because I think whiskey can be a really challenging base for a lot of people. Um a lot of people who are really starting to get into booze itself, they love vodka, right? And it makes sense. It's a very low-impact, uh, low-profile kind of bait. Easy on, the, easy on the palate, in a way. Easy to totally. consume on its own. Right, right, right. Uh, that was me. I'll, I'll lay it right out there. Like, my 20s, probably early 30s, was vodka-based, all vodka-based. And I loved every second of it. But now, like, the running joke is, vodka itself, its only purpose is to add ABV to some other flavor. You take vodka, you add it to something else, and you just gave more alcohol to that something else. Sure, okay. sure. But uh, so from a whiskey perspective, one of the first cocktails I ever tried was more of a scotch cocktail. It's called a penicillin. And a penicillin was built out of New York City, and I want to say in the 80s. I'm not going to be perfectly accurate here with the history, but it's a wonderful mix of uh, like a, a mixed scotch, a very, very peaty scotch. It has a ginger-based simple syrup on top of it uh, and i'm missing an ingredient uh, forgive me i'll come back to it at some point uh but the taste itself the smell it almost smelled like a band-aid that's really? where the name penicillin came from you know that <laughs> smell of the perfect band-aid <laughs> right right forgive me but it really has that the cocktail is wonderful the range of flavor profile from this very smoky, peaty scotch where people go, oh, my God, that's disgusting. I can never try that unless it's in this cocktail. This one's awesome. Right, right. Um, it's that, that cocktail, I think, if you're trying to explore and bring somebody into the whiskey or the scotch area, this is what you try first. Really? They'll find the heat of the ginger, the sweetness, and then the whiskey on top of it, a little bit of smoky, peaty flavor. It all goes together wonderful. And that was one of the first cocktails I ever tried. Now, now when and this you is tried one of the that, cocktails we use. Will, I'm sorry for yeah. interrupting, but when you tried that, did you, did you know what was in there when you tried it the first time? Or did you just try it and then, oh, then no, learned see, what the differences were? 
So uh, one of my, my, I don't want to say tricks, like one of the secrets to having fantastic cocktails and fantastic cocktail experiences is not choosing the cocktail yourself. It's engaging with that bartender and talking to them a little while, asking questions and asking what they suggest to you. And one of the best bartenders in Detroit, one of the best, I had no idea he was the best, no clue, just randomly ran into this guy. He's the one who said, you know what, let me make you a penicillin. And it was me and three other guys. We all tried them, and we were just, our minds were blown. We never had one before, ever. It was awesome. Best cocktail ever. We now go, like, if we're going to go try out new places, the thing we ask him is, could you make us a penicillin? Because they're all a little different. Sure, sure. Put a little bit of signature into it. And you can really judge a bartender by their penicillin. <laughs> I know. Weird. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, so from there, what is the, uh, where does the evolution progress to? Yeah. Um, again, it's a journey. Again, it should be looking at menus and exploring menus. I want to talk a second about Detroit because Detroit's got this craft that's just intense. It's huge. And I also want to bring it back to the whole HR idea. Sure, sure. Uh, in Detroit, uh, I was working for Ford Motor Company. Uh, we was in Ford Motor Company. It's I don't want to say it's super stressful, but it's standard stressful. We, yeah. We all have budgets, and the automotive industry is really, really tight. Leaders are beat up quite a bit. That's what we signed up for. And leaders are the guys that are stuck in the back corner with no windows in their office whatsoever, making sure their employees are happy. I met a bunch of other leaders in the same aisle with no windows. And we all decided it was time to go out to some crappy, crappy bars. Uh, We decided to follow a book called, uh, it was something like uh, Watering Holes of Detroit. Guy named Mike Klein, he wrote this book. It's an awesome book. 200 or so bars and restaurants, and it really breaks down by photos and cocktails and reviews. Nice. And we decided every Thursday for about years, this group of leaders at Ford Motor Company and I would go out and try every single in the book. Oh, wow. Every single one. We called ourselves a league. We were the league of extraordinary gentle people because we had one woman with us. She was awesome, right? It really, <laughs> it made everything fantastic. But we did this for about two years. We hit 200-plus bars, so we met thousands of people. We were in the paper the whole entire deal. It was a great experience. Um, And through this, we found great bars. We found bars like Sugar House. Sugar House really takes that art of creating a cocktail to heart. The, the environment, the, the, the culture there, it's leather and dark wood, and it's mature. Their ingredients are top-notch. They are consistent every single time. Same amount of ingredients, same ingredient into every cocktail, regardless of the bartender. Wow. They have a menu of 101 classic cocktails, plus seasonal cocktails. But the 101 are everything you've heard of, from a Mai Tai to a zombie to an amaretto sour. Got to talk about an amaretto sour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, please. Right, but these are ways they were classically made. And I went in there, I had that... uh, Penicillin blew my mind. And I tried something called a coffee cocktail. And there's no coffee in that cocktail whatsoever. It's a port cocktail and a couple other things that really taste like coffee and with egg white in it. Blew my mind as well. So I decided at that point, regardless of my buddies going out every Thursday night to those 200 bars, I'd spend time at Sugar House throughout the week. I had all 101 cocktails. It took me two years to work through that menu to oh try every single one. Wow. But I understood. I want to sample them. I can't say they were all good. Some really sucked. Some <laughs> really sucked. But I tried every one. I learned a lot about it, right? Yeah. Learned a ton about it. 
So that's what I think the journey of cocktails is about. It's not to like have this great rum and coke. It's to sit down and say, there's a huge assortment of, of booze behind that bar. Why do you use that, that bottle? What does it go into? Let's try a few things and find out. Why is it different? Why was it put together with these other things? Why in the 1940s did they do it that way? Why in the 70s did they do it that way? And go across that whole entire bar, try that whole entire menu, and understand and reflect in every single one. Right? That's a personal journey. That's not the social thing. That's a personal journey. Right. That's the work. That's a time away. Well, well, uh, well maybe unless that time away un- from family. Unless maybe you're part of a league, right? Then it could be a team thing. Unless you're part of a league, sure. <laughs> right, sure. right. I mean, it, really, it, true, it was a team sport in many regards. But in reality, it's that, that self-time. It's that self-time where you get to sit down and think about just something else. Reflect yourself. Great cocktails out there. You use the term classic cocktail. Now, is that strictly in, in relation to a uh, uh, type of cocktail that we may have known for a long time? Or is it made in a different way is it is it put together in a way that's unique to a, a historical way of making a cocktail yeah you, you see God, these I things where the guys put all this smoke and they do this crazy stuff and you're like i don't <laughs> yeah. even know what you're doing but it tastes so good in in my palate yeah. you know yeah yeah i mean i so you do have this new craft cocktail thing a new craft um for the t- past 10, 15 years, craft cocktails have been really big, right? So you get that whole smoke in a glass bowl, and it looks cool, and that's not what we're talking about. That's totally not what we're talking about. There's great things there. That's not what we're talking about. Why in the 1940s, when the whole Mai Tai and the whole Tiki Revolution came out, why do those specific recipes maintain themselves over time? Why have haven't they changed in the 50s and the 60s and the 70s? Why is there such a focus and such fame behind it? Now, I want to use the Mai Tai for a second because I think we've all had Mai Tais. And Mai Tais suck, right? There's this frozen <laughs> cocktail thing in a plastic glass. You get down in, like, I don't know, North Carolina or down in Florida when you're at some place, right? right or right. New Orleans, whatever you want to think of there. That's not a Mai Tai. It's such not a Mai Tai. The classic 1942 Mai Tai, which is made of wonderful fresh fruit and juices and a little bit of rum, actually a lot of rum, is an experience to try by itself. Like You will sit down and try one of these things and say, what the F? This is not like any Mai Tai I've ever tried before. Sure, It'll sure. blow your mind. So it's that, why was it built? Why was it so good then and why has it changed over time so if we go back to like some other cocktails we think about uh, gin and its stuff or prohibition is a great time to talk about cocktails holy crap a great time to talk about cocktails for the fact of like the booze during prohibition was so bad they had to throw a lot of stuff on top of it to make it taste better <laughs> they had to truth and that's where like a huge yeah. chunk of these classic cocktails that you read about actually came from mixing a honey and sugar and other types of things into it now they taste wonderful they were the foundation of a cocktail but to sit down and to try that cocktail and to take a little sip and to think to yourself this was 1940 it hasn't changed they loved it then their kids loved it then my grandparents loved it then it must still be good there's something about it yeah. There's some history behind it. And that's nice. That's a classic cocktail. It's simple. Usually a classic cocktail is going to be about two or three ingredients. 
it's only when you get these competitions and people fighting for new fame, you get these 70 ingredients or you get scenarios where like, here's another great cocktail that I really, really enjoy. Uh, it's called Angostura sour. Okay. We think about base, right? A base, and you take a base, it's usually a couple ounces of a base, and you toss on some other flavor stuff to change it out. Maybe even a little bit of Angostura bitters on the top of it, that little white bottle, right? That stuff's awesome. Awesome. And I want to say the mid-90s, they created the Angostura Sour where they flipped everything. Instead of two ounces of a base, they put in two ounces of Angostura bitters. Huge amounts of Angostura bitters and little bits of whiskey, and add-ons and lemon. That cocktail is so intense. It's, it's, it's so flavorful. It will uh, make you just stop and think, like, what did I just try? Did, did I, do I like it? Do I not like it? Is my body going to reject it? Yeah. But suddenly you come out of it, you're like, that was really nice. It's almost like Christmas flavors to it. Can I have another one? I mean, that's, that's, that's right, the right. response is, can I get another one? This new way of doing cocktails is a lot of experimentation. And I want to say, like, out of every hundred that, that they try, there's probably a dozen that are great, where you take the classic cocktails, and everything you know about classic cocktails are the ones that have survived. They're all the great ones that came on through. Do you find nowadays, uh, especially right now, in this world of COVID, and, and so many different states have different rules and different things in place, where you are, is there a huge prohibition taking place on going out and enjoying these cocktails and, and people are having to do this more on their own at home or are places still open where you could sit down, talk to that bartender, learn a little bit about life? Uh, it's done. It's done. It's done. Um, and that's really sad. Right? It's sad for a couple of reasons. It's sad for the people that make their living in this space. Right? They had such wisdom and it's, it's not so sunny, it's so funny to say wisdom when it comes to booze but they had such wisdom to tell me about as we sampled these things i mean it was my hobby of all hobbies yeah and now they can't get paid they can't do anything they, they can't work uh what i am finding which is really kind of fascinating we do have a lot more people that are making cocktails at home which is great, right? They're learning how to make good cocktails. They're realizing the differences between different booths. Uh, I'm seeing a wonderful assortment of, of web-based sessions with bartenders, with um, alcohol companies, with, with, with distributors. Yeah, Those are kind of fun. Uh, it's a brand new way of talking to people to sit down and like uh, a web video chat and discuss a Negroni with about 1,500 people all around the world is a new way to drink blowing my mind right now <laughs> you know <laughs> so so for the person that is in a situation where they want to it's friday night they've had the rough week aka the rough week now they're saying that to their team members or co-workers hey i just can't wait to get out of here and have a cocktail yeah it's no longer just a couple simple things in your glass maybe take that extra step take that extra reach Find a couple other ingredients, maybe. Or yeah, how would someone, in your opinion, do their best due diligence to get started at home? All right. Amazon.com is your first place to go to. You have to get the basics. You got to get yourself a nice jigger. You got to be able to measure your cocktails appropriately. Uh, it is actually really, really important to keep your ratios in check. It makes or breaks a cocktail. 
So get a good jigger and measure appropriately. Get yourself a good shaker. So you can either mix it with ice or do a little bit of a stirring. It all depends on the cocktail. But you need those tools to do it right. And heck, it makes you feel like a bartender when you're doing it anyways. <laughs> and that's really nice. Probably give you a greater uh, you appreciation when you do have the opportunity to sit down with a real bartender, though, too, right? You get to compare what you're doing to what they're doing. I mean, and I, I have way more respect than I ever have in my whole entire life for that tradecraft. They're just phenomenal artists. Uh, glassware, same thing. I mean, there's a reason why certain beverages are served in certain types of glassware. Get yourself some glassware. Make the experience at home. Yeah. All right. So set yourself up. It's not going to be expensive to do that. You're going to spend 50 bucks at the most and you'll be set. Here's the tricky part. That, that, that store, that liquor store has got a lot of stuff on the shelves. Man, and there's a lot of good stuff and there's a lot of bad stuff. What, what do you buy? Like when you go out right, there, right. like what, what what do you get? Right? How, how do you do even you know? fall for marketing? Right. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Um, it's really really tricky. I, I'm currently in Canada. I'm living in Canada for a little while, and, and the selection in Canada is horrific, horrific. Wow. So you buy what you can buy, but in New York, make a friend with the owner of the liquor store. Make a friend with the folks that work there. Talk to them a little bit. Ask them which ones people really like. Get some feedback. Don't just go and buy spiced rum from Kraken because somebody else bought it. Figure out that there's wonderful rums out there that aren't spiced that you could add a little bit of spice to and make such a better cocktail than buying it in a bottle. And I'll tell you what, that rum that you buy that's not Kraken spice rum, but just basic rum, yes, half the price, it's awesome. Suddenly you have your own flavor you can be proud of. All right, but anyways, get to know your local owner. They'll help you out on it. Here's my other piece of advice on this one. Imbibe.com Imbibe. or liquor.com. Okay, yep. gotcha. It, yep, uh, both are free websites. Both run articles throughout the year. They even have magazines if you want to subscribe to them. But they're going to tell you about different cocktails that are out there. Some of them are going to be really intense, full of different ingredients. Other ones are really basic and simple. Find a couple on there. Go back throughout history. Search for them. Look at the ingredients. Say, I want to try that cocktail. Go to the liquor store. Buy them. Set it up for next week and plan it out. So that Friday when you come home from work, I read about it. I've got the ingredients. I'm going to do this thing. And heck, if you really want to be cool with it, videotape the whole entire thing. Videotape the whole entire thing. There used to be that time back in the day. You might take that girl (laughs) to the bar. You sit down and you ask her what she wants. She says, ah, vodka cranberry, vodka cranberry. <laughs> little did you know, just a little bit of that lime in there. You now have a Cape Codder if it's done the right way. Just a little no, twist so, on that. Totally with you, right? I want to take it even to another step here. Uh, little tips I've learned over time. Um, an egg cocktail is an awesome cocktail. Never say no to anything that has egg whites in it. Really? I know this is going to sound horrible. Yeah. Egg white cocktails are amazing. One of the best out there is a true classic amaretto sour, a real amaretto sour. Not this crap you got at the corner bar. Okay, what's the difference? An amaretto sour. Again, we're going to talk about perfect amounts that go into it, but it's amaretto, it's whiskey, it's lemon, and it's an egg white. And you do this crazy thing called a dry shake with it. 
you put it into your mixing cup, you shake it without any ice, it loads tons of air into that egg white. The proteins bond and create these bubbles, super foamy, almost like a milkshake. <laughs> Toss a little bit of ice into it at the yeah. end, shake it for about 10 seconds, and you strain it into a cup. You wind up with this wonderful cocktail with this thick layer on the top of this milkshake-ish, thick, white wonderfulness. I guarantee, like any guy out there says, I'm a whiskey guy. I only drink whiskey. I never drink an amaretto sour. You of a real amaretto sour. He's just gonna. He's not gonna say a word. He's yeah. not gonna admit that he was wrong. He won't do it. Right, right. He'll drink the whole cocktail though. I guarantee he'll drink that whole cocktail. It's amazing. Gotta remember the egg whites. Wow, never would have thought about that. Yeah, yeah, totally. Hey, um, egg whites I, are a wonderful thing to add to a cocktail. Will, I know we're coming tight on time right here. I, I do want to sure. uh, before we part ways ask you one very important question would you be willing sure. sir to maybe come back on again in the future and maybe give a recommendation on your cocktail of the month or something like that maybe we build a new yeah. segment and get together a, a little bit more frequently i'd love to but in fact what i really like to do is i would like to sit down with you and we'll choose well i'll choose three cocktails Alrighty. And I'm going to share three cocktails with you. And what I'd really like to get is your response and what you find in it. I would like to yeah. take you through the journey that I've talked about. Oh, my about gosh. I'm in. To see if any of it changes your opinion of what a cocktail might be and can be. I'm in. I'm Hands down, I'm in. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, when, like when that. I first learned about wine a little bit and the, and the different things that go within the palate structure and and the way the grapes are grown yeah. and when they pull them and do all this stuff. And then you start thinking about that with the beers. And I, to me, with like all the craft beers, it's too far. Like I enjoy it, <laughs> but it's like too much. I'm not going to sit down and smell my yeah. beer. I just want to drink my beer and walk <laughs> on. But no, yeah, yeah, yeah. a cocktail is a different ball of wax. It really is. Yeah. A buddy of mine, he turned to me, he had me try an old fashioned for the first time about a year and a half ago. Never had an old fashioned before. Sure. I said, this tastes like yeah. lambskin and like seal dick like i don't even know what this is it was a very terrible experience for me i maybe it was a bad old-fashioned i don't know it had the orange peels but there were seeds of orange in there and, and rind and i don't know i was chewing my drink at the end there was a whole really? lot going on oh. yeah well all right so i will tell you no matter what there are bad cocktails out there and no matter what there's bad bartenders and there are so many different old fashions that i can't wait to give you one that you enjoy Probably shouldn't have tried that at like a bowling alley. I'm just thinking. <laughs> I just, you know. Hey, Will, I, I can't thank you enough for your time and being on and being here and willing to share your well, thoughts you. and opinions. I really appreciate you. And on behalf of Ricky Bias and HR Talk, you have a home here anytime you want. Great. Thank you, Jim. Thank you very much. Hey, if anyone wants to find you, do you yeah. want to be found? Yeah, I can be found. I am on Facebook, of course. Uh, it'll be a little tricky for now. You've got to look up Mac Radner and not Will Albers. But, uh, yeah, feel free to look me up. Otherwise, I'm sure, Jim, we can figure out some way for people to get in touch with me if they have any questions. And I cannot wait for suggestions in the Buffalo area of where to go to try cocktails. Absolutely. We'll get that squared away. Thank you once again for being on the show. It's been my pleasure. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Seal dick? Really, JC? That's what came to mind? It tasted so bad. It took me back to that time I went to Alaska. Let me tell you. It was a very oh. horrible experience. Dude, that was awesome. I'm telling that you. That was awesome. 
a, a monthly segment, Cocktails with Matt Radner featuring Will Elbers. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, halfway through the interview, I was thinking the same thing. I'm like, we got to have him on. Yeah. And us three just do a Zoom meeting, record it, him giving recommendations, telling us the ingredients ahead of time, and we can make it live. Oh, it'd be amazing. Just best and taste it. Let me tell you, dude, um, I, I, I was not a big cocktail fan. I really wasn't. But seeing or hearing how passionate he is about it, now I'm willing to expand my palate because I am that whiskey guy. I am that scotch guy that I just sit back. But I'm also that guy that I enjoy. Like it, 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 It's got to be quality scotch. I'm not going to buy the crap. It, it's got to be the quality stuff that goes down smooth. It really, it really puts you in that mood. Let me tell you what I was thinking throughout the whole thing. Yeah, right? please. He, as soon as he started talking about him having a conversation with a bartender, I immediately went from a scotch person to a business owner. I'm like, holy crap. He is the one that we business owners need to be afraid of when he walks in because he knows his stuff. So I got to make sure my bartenders are squared away and they are up to speed with all history of every cocktails we make in that bar Absolutely. because we don't want him to walk in and ask these great questions and we get a, a, a bartender that doesn't know what he or she's talking about he's going to walk right out because that ruins the experience for him and don't make no mistake that is the customer you want right you want that customer he to returns come back. 101 times to try <laughs> Every single cocktail that you have and learn about it along the way. He, he And that's the thing. He didn't start that way. It, it was yeah. just a, a bad week. Let's go out for a cocktail after work. And Eek. lo and behold, it turned into a, like a multi-year hobby, being featured in the news, having an assembly of like your own league of extraordinary people. And uh, <laughs> it, I, I think they had jackets like Cobra Kai. I don't know how far they took it, you know, but they did a lot. And pretty awesome that they did, man. You know, but think about it, though, too, like building your communication skills, taking yourself when when you might have a, a hard time thinking about the details because you're trying to push through an endeavor like the investigation that you're going through right now and trying to fire the person for touching butts that you just watched the video on previously prior to cocktail night. And now uh -huh. the week's over and, and you're unwinding and you're doing all this and, and you're finding a greater appreciation for the small things. It's not a matter of sitting down to get drunk. It's a matter of having that experience, learning the history, taking those next steps forward. You know, let me get personal with you for a second. Um, when you I'm sure you do that. You go to work, you had a bad week and you go home and you just want to drink. You, you, you just want a cocktail. Can I ask, what are you thinking about when you're sitting down, when you're relaxing? What, what are you really thinking about that drink? Or are you thinking about work? Well, what are you thinking? I, I, I'm going to I'll share with you radical candor here. I'll bring it right out. Um, if I'm in that mood. I'm not sitting down having a cocktail, Rick. I'm not. I'm going to grab myself a, a, a Bud Light in the can. If I can, I'm going to put on some 80s rock and roll like Poison and Motley Crue. And I'm going to sing along really loud. Maybe when we finally get to White Snake, I'll dance with someone or myself. And then, uh you know, kind of move forward into some country a little bit. I turn it into a musical experience. It's been a very wow. long time since I actually sat down and enjoyed a cocktail because here's why. I don't do that a lot outside of work. I don't. 
because I have so much time to to do that in the in the past I had the time to do that nowadays I I don't have that time because I'm I'm working so hard outside my day job to just surely keep this program afloat and I would like <laughs> to encourage anyone that's listening if you desire remember we don't have sponsors Nope. And we're not going to take sponsors anytime soon. There's other HR podcasts out there that you could even buy their tchotchkes as of right now. We don't even have tchotchkes because it's just Ricky and me. And we're making it happen. And, and, we're, and we're trying to put some things together. So, you know, if, if you do ever want to donate to the program, uh, it would definitely go towards just operational costs. But if you don't want to donate, that's fine. Just please hop on social media. Give us a like and follow. Share your comments, thoughts, and opinions so that we could continue to bring you high-quality educational information and just fun times for the end of your week for the end of your week hey um personal question aside so we had the we had the rough week we had the weekend we had the cocktails you know what comes next when you're facing that next work week don't you hangover no rick come on man what am i facing think about it one more time i don't i don't know Oh. <laughs> it is time for current events. Current events this week brought to you in part by our cocktail partner this week. Cocktail aficionado Mac Radner, officially known as Will Elbers. Thank you so much for being you. Your first story today, this is going to be coming directly to you from Deadline.com. As you face that next week, you must start to think about work at home. 5% more in taxes. Pay 5% more in taxes if you work from home, says Deutsche Bank researchers. Now, the joy of working in your sweatpants could ultimately come at a price. A research team at Deutsche Bank has proposed a tax on remote workers once the pandemic ends. The concept would support economic recovery and subsidize people whose jobs require attendance outside of the home. The sudden shift to work from home means that for the first time in history, a big chunk of people have disconnected themselves from the face-to-face world, yet they're still leading a full economic life. That means remote workers are contributing less to the infrastructure of the economy while still receiving benefits, and they must pay. Deutsche Bank claims that there's a big cost to the broader economy, which was designed for trudging into the office or the factory or the store. And the solution to this is a work-from-home tax on 5% of wages, flat across the board. Now, of course, employers will cover the extra costs if they don't provide workers with permanent desks. Those that do choose to work from home would see the tax deducted from their paychecks on a per diem basis. And Deutsche Bank argues the cost would roughly equivalent to going into work anyways and covering those expenses within the office. Working from home. 5% penalty. Ricky Baez, over to you. Let me find the words uh, to fully explain. Oh, I found them. What a crock of shit. I mean, seriously, what a crock of shit. So, let me, let me now, normally, normally, when when any government entity says, hey, we need to raise taxes, it's for a reason, right? Because they need money. They need X money to do X. So what is this bank proposing? I, I, I don't fully understand their rationale as to why they want to impose. Yeah, man, you're going to have less people actually physically going 
to the office location. They're not going to be going to the restaurants near that office location. The office location may not exist. It may not rent the actual same amount of space. So through that process, if you're working from home, pay more. So, so, so wait, so there's less resources being taken up. Therefore, there's more less- money available to pay in tax somewhere else. So that's the problem, right? Because to, <laughs> so their rationale is because you got more disposable income, you should pay more taxes. That's not the reason taxes exist. They exist because, hey, we need to run whatever government we're living in and we need taxes to fund that. So if you're using less resources that are being provided by said government, I don't know how the answer is to charge the citizens more <laughs> for using less resource. It just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, I'll tell you what, though. Uh, well, well, I thoroughly agree with you. It doesn't make sense. And I definitely don't want to pay any more taxes than I have to. If I had to endure it somehow, if it was coming in the form of a tax that was being levied against my Internet service provider and they're held to a higher standard of keeping me secure at the home front and keeping my services up and running concurrently no matter what, and, and you start to put the pressure on making sure the deliverable of the utility is in line. Well, that's a different ball of wax then too, right? This whole thing could explode into a myriad of, of complications, Rick. I, I, yeah, I just, so I, <laughs> ah. I don't like the fact. I don't like I, any I just, of it. I rather have less government intervention and let the market decide. Totally agree. Yeah. So I'd rather not go that route. I'd rather just let the free market decide who is a good provider and who is not. Yeah, but but think about it. You have extra income. Let's all pay more taxes. Pay more taxes. (laughs) That shouldn't be the reason. It sounds like a great campaign slogan. It may have been. Pay more taxes. Here's a great example. A great example is I make X amount of dollars a year. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Out of out of those dollars, I keep, I don't know, 20 percent of it and I put away. Right. Everything else goes to bills and everything else. Oh, my God. I got a raise. Shoot. I got a raise. That means I got to spend more money. No, you don't. Right. <laughs> right. More money. You just don't. You save that away or you bump. 30%. Or if you don't want to save it away, you're spending the stuff on experiences or things within your life that you're enjoying life with. So you might not be spending it, you know, on the gas and commuting and paying tolls, but you might be going out and buying yourself an experience or a cruise or that scotch that you've been thinking about trying the $600 a bottle, etc. Right. It's it's who 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 is this Deutsche Bank? Who are they? Deutsche Bank. Georgia (laughs) Bank? Sausage Bank? What'd you say? (laughs) Who are they to impose tax? They need to shut up. Just be quiet. Go back to scamming people out of money. Well, that was it. (laughs) Your next current event story brings you all the way up to New York State. Uh Angry business owners assembled this past week here. In an effort to resist enforcement by a uh, health department mandate within the state of New York. Out of Orchard Park, there was a very angry atmosphere inside the angry, uh, I'm sorry, inside the Athletes Unleashed gym in Orchard Park Friday night. As a group of concerned business owners and citizens gathered to discuss the current COVID edicts and restrictions put in place by the Empire. Of New York State. 
overseeing yeah. certain businesses. So there's a guy by the name of Tim Walton. He was there at the meeting. It started around 7 p.m. on Friday. And uh, it was Walmart. pardon me. It was Walmart. No, that's Sam Walton. Got it. Yeah. Sam, Wrong Walton. Different guy. Different Walton. The same Walton family. Different Walton. So uh, he did report that there were more than 100 people attending the meeting and it was inside the gym. Now, the gym had its doors closed. Uh, that really doesn't have windows. It was a private gathering of business owners in the area to discuss the current restrictions and how they were going to be overcoming that. It's been a very hard year with many of these businesses being shut down, forced not to work. Now, in a press release that came out, Walton says the Erie County Sheriff's Department and Health Department entered the facility and confronted the gathering, telling them that they were in violation of the limit to mass gatherings of no more than 10. They were not invited to attend. They just walked in. With cell phone cameras trained on a health department representative, the angry crowd resisted the interference through peaceful protest, demanded a warrant, asking why they have entered the premises, and began to chant, get out, get out. At one point during the incident, the health department representative explains that the visit is not criminal in nature, but rather a code enforcement visit. The gym was not open to the public or open for business at the time of this visit. After several minutes of back and forth between everybody was that was there, the health department and the sheriff's deputies left the gym and they were followed into the parking lot by this, this crowd that was resisting. And then they, they left the premises and went to their parked cars that were on the road down the street. Throughout this entire pandemic, Rick, the health department has responded to reported incidents of code violations. And those visits are escalating now that this particular county has entered the orange zone. It's a status that was placed on most of Erie County in New York earlier this week by Albany. The new status orders the shutdowns of gyms, hair salons, and many personal service businesses. Ricky Baez, over to you. I'm on the fence, man. I really am on the fence. And it, it, it's a... Uh... To me, I know I'm kind of overreacting here, but it is a gut-wrenching topic just because I know how important small businesses are, especially in their own communities, and I know how hard they've been hit. But I also understand how serious this pandemic is, so that's why I'm on the fence. On one hand, I'm like, you know what? The, everybody should be able to earn a, a good living, good, honest living, and this is the, the land of opportunity. Give them the opportunity to do so. They're adults. Let them go ahead and impose their own safety restrictions how they see fit because common sense will prevail. That's one side. The other side, common sense has not prevailed. <laughs> people have proven that we can't trust them with those with those uh, PPEs and use of them uh, appropriately. Not everybody, some. But, dude, it takes 5% to ruin it for everybody else. So that's why I'm on the fence because... Question for you. When yeah. we think about... Maybe not so much the shutting down of the business or the whether they are or they are not wearing any PPE during business hours, etc. Let's remove ourselves from that portion of it and just solely focus and discuss for a brief moment here the fact that the place of business was not open for business. And the health inspector walked in on premises, escorted by sheriffs, 
off hours to survey the size of the crowd. Let's extrapolate that and mm-hmm. say it's Thanksgiving. <laughs> and now you have 11 people on a 10-person mandate and the health department bursts in to count heads. Mm-hmm. How, how do you feel about that part of the whole story? Oh, no, I don't like it, bro. <laughs> I don't like it at all. Uh, house to house, it- business to business, facility to facility, checking the amount of people that are in a location at a time. Well, actually, let's not let's let's come back a little bit. Let's focus on this particular issue and how the sheriff and the code enforcement people got there. Because if I was the owner of that establishment, my question is, how did you know about this meeting? You weren't invited. There is a video. There's a video. They did ask that. They said they received an anonymous tip, kind of like people go to HR with anonymous tips. (laughs) Right. So they got an anonymous tip. Right. So I guess the question is, in that county, is an ordinance violation enough for the police or law enforcement to to walk into private property without a warrant? With the, I know uh, there's a possible of the law there is. I, I believe with the current rules under the pandemic and, and laws that were enacted by the state, they they do now have the authority to basically go in anywhere, That's anytime. Scary. Yeah, I, I, I don't agree with that at all. And it's all. interesting because the sheriff in the county said just about a week ago, when it comes to your Thanksgiving dinner, he's not going to be enforcing breaking into people's homes to break up crowds. But you went into this into this establishment when you were not invited to. Exactly. You broke it. Come on, dude. Yeah, I, I and here's the thing. Here's the thing. If they know, they obviously have no power because I, they left. I saw the. Yeah, they yeah. left. Well, OK, sheriff. Why then? <laughs> Why would you show up <laughs> if you know you have no teeth or no dog in this fight? Why would you show up only to be embarrassed? Right? Everybody in the mother has a cell phone. It's Why? A good question. You're an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> right? So, I mean, I I get it. You want to go in there scare people? Not not like this. Not when you got business owners that are pissed. And dude, don't mess with somebody and and you taking away the opportunity of their livelihood. And, because and this guy, this guy's a Marine. He yeah. served, you know, so he's, I don't at all, he's just trying to get like my business owners together to talk about the problems that are taking place. Right. But I, I don't know. I it's, it's a toughie. Uh, it's a it's a toughie. It's a touchy, tough topic. I get it. But at some point, you still have to afford people the, the freedom to speak. Or as this guy said, they were protesting. So. Their peaceful protest just so happened to be inside his gym at the time. Yeah. I, I Close don't know. To the public. The private whole thing property. is just very politicized. It's getting really it, harsh it out here, man. It is. Dude. And now now um, let's go over to Thanksgiving coming up this week. Yeah. Right? So are you worried about that? Yeah, I am. And I'm also yeah. not. And also I am. It's a con- It's a consistent pendulum swinging back and forth. I mean, when I think about myself and, and my immediates, no, not so much. You know, I mean, I, I know where we're at and what's going on. When I think about the extended family, those that are older, yeah, there's there's care and concern. If if that family member says, yeah, you know what? I'm good. You're good. Let's get together. Yeah, I'm considerate. Also, at the same time, if it's like left on the table and said, you know what? Let's forego it. It doesn't feel right right now. That's fine, too. I, I'm, I'm kind of thinking right now it might not be bad to stay home and get some KFC. Like, seriously, I'm not even kidding. And I really hope that they're open on Thanksgiving. Well, they might since nobody can do anything. But and and 
Did I read somewhere that the uh, uh, New York is uh, encouraging people to snitch on each other? Yes. Like if, if yes, they are. Yeah. Yeah. So you've got like uh, you might have people that work at the box store that's allowed to remain open and they will snitch on the uh, local store that uh, Uh, doesn't have the big dollars behind them and say, hey, people are going over there and they're buying their Wheaties. You know, (laughs) it's a whole thing. It's a whole thing. It's crazy. But you like we were talking to the previous story, extrapolating that, bringing it forward. Where do you draw that fine line between what the government can do, can't do, should do, shouldn't do? especially during these times. Look, I'm living the same timeline as you are. I just happen to be in a different state. You could actually like, what can you do? Okay. Can you go to the gym if you want to right now? Uh, Yeah, you can. I can. I can go to the gym. I can. I can go to to a bar. Can you get your haircut? Uh, I can. No haircuts allowed. It's so ridiculous. And I like how you put it. You said we're living in the same timeline. Yeah. Completely different worlds. You're not I in mean, the future. <laughs> you know? <laughs> You're- Friday night. Friday night. We went to Disney. Yeah. Before we went to Disney, okay. we went to the air. I got some beer. I got some wings. All right. So let, I- me, let me get this right. Let me get this right. In this same timeline right now, in, in reality, good. you're going to Walt Disney World. I... <laughs> I can't go get my hair cut. Let's just put that in spec. Let's just think about that real quick. You can go have a cocktail at Buffalo Wild Wings or wherever you want. Mm-hmm. I have to sit home and stare at the walls. <laughs> yeah. Period. Pretty much. Period. Wow. No, it, it's, it really is crazy. And it, you know what? Even more crazier. Um, but it's funny. But is, everyone by you must be like in a very bad way though, right? Like, this is very bad. It's very bad. Like, here, the infection rate over the past week or so is like 10%, 9.8, 10%, et cetera, et cetera. But that's the infection rate based off of the amount of tests. So, like, you test uh, 100 people, 10 people are sick kind of thing. So, it's a 10% infection rate. I mean, it, it, it's we're leading the country. You are. <laughs> we are. You are. So, so here's the thing. It, it, it's the numbers are there, bro. The numbers are there that, look, we are open full swing. And we're leading the country in cases. I mean, come on. Two plus two is four, right? So I get it. But all that proves to me is that people can be tr- some people can be trusted. So when they it comes down to like personal responsibility, I mean, you're still doing what you have to do to feel safe for yourself and to protect others. Or it's just the Wild West right now. Well, here's the thing. Personal responsibility is different in a pandemic. Personal responsibility what I decide what personal responsibility and protection is for me could not be what the person next to me needs to stay healthy. So that's where it's different, right? Because somebody can be asymptomatic and somebody may not exactly. get all the symptoms. Exactly. But somebody else next to me, they could die the next day because of it. So that's from that's what personal responsibility is a little bit different in that context. So in, in your area, though, when we, when we think about personal responsibility in the context, as you just defined, considering the factors that you're up against during the pandemic and crazy times that we're in, where, where are you at, though? You know what I mean? I mean, I, you're still going out. You're still doing your thing. You went to I'm Walt still, Disney. Oh, I know. Yeah, but I wear my mask. I I sanitize. I say. <laughs> I'll be honest with you. I mean, I've been out there. You know, you go to the store, you do these things. It's not like you don't see people with masks. It's enforced pretty hardcore. It really is. 
It's just no, the but- after action from our government versus the after action to your government. There you go. Right. Because. And how do you at- determine that one business is better than another to remain open during a, a time period? I mean, in the same government, under the same states, uh, it's you know, either you're open, you're halfway open, or you're not. Right. right? I know from state to state is different, but here's the thing: it's the governor gave the, I think he gave the organizations the right to decide whether you should enforce or not enforce these masks. Okay. Disney, if you can't get out for any reason that's unauthorized, they will kick you out. Lowe's, you can walk around naked; they don't care. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously? <laughs> yeah. They, well, I. I'm being facetious, but no, 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 I, no. I get it. I get it. I get it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. They don't care. No, they don't care. Uh, I go in. My my family and I wear masks. We stay away from people. If I see people without a mask, I'm not going to confront them. That's on them. But I stay away from them. Right. And that's the um, same not- as here. That's the same as here. Only difference is, is if I go into Lowe's, li- literally everyone has one on. They're enforcing it very strictly. Oh, not here, bro. Not here. Yeah, whatever. Leave it open. They each his own. But you know what's funny though? It, it's uh, Disney's rules are weird. Because it was packed on Friday night, and it was packed yesterday. And um, it's funny. They say maintain six-foot distance. When you go into those monorails, go ahead and you sit one family per bench. Okay. And they're really strict about that. There's hand sanitizer stations everywhere. For some bizarre reason, the virus doesn't exist when you're in line waiting for the monorail. <laughs> for some reason, the virus says, I'm not going to go there. <laughs> Right, because there is no social distancing at all. Now I do it on purpose, right? Because I'm like, you stay away, you stay away. If I'm yeah. going to be here, I'm going to be responsible, right? Right. That's right. just me. But let me tell you, man, they're doing a good job, but they're not. <laughs> so, but I just, what I really want to know is how many Disney employees test positive. Ooh. Now you look at them; they got because remember they deal with people from all over the world, all over the nation. It's not like just they're chucking the truck restaurant right down the street. Um, so I've seen them with a mask on and a face shield, all kinds of things. And it's weird because when you're talking to a cast member, normally you get that genuine smile, warm smile. Now you don't know if they're smiling at you or judging you. I can't tell. They're with just the staring eye. at you. They're just staring yeah, at you. <laughs> they're gawking. I'm telling you, if you smile or look somebody in a judging way, if you have a mask on, the eyes look the same. They look the exact same thing. It's just weird. But anyway, yeah, so here it's it's more like the Wild West, um, but I'm still being careful because I know I work with some people that are um, have got underlying conditions. I got family members that got underlying conditions, so I yeah. got to be careful. I got friends who do not go out at all, and I do feel bad for them. I really do feel bad for them uh, because of their underlying so, conditions. Uh, so question for you then. If, if, if you do go out... And and you go experience Disney like you did, even though you might be wearing masks. You're out there, you're experiencing something that others who might be more reserved and stay home and don't want to be involved do not participate in. Is it okay for your friends and family to look at you and judge you as being pro-death because you went to Disney? <laughs> even though you did all, all the things you felt was right. I mean, they're not looking at me as pro-death because I drink alcohol. They're not looking at me me as pro-death because I like bacon. You know, so how is that any different then? Right. Because it's it's, I'm making a choice and that is my choice. If you don't like it, that's fine. Stay home. Right. But because I'm going out, you choose not to. All of a sudden, I'm (laughs) pro-death. 
<laughs> You're pro death. Yeah. I'm pro death. You know what? Forget it. Everybody who decides to wake up every morning, they're pro death because it's going to happen anyway. And you just want to live one more See, day to get closer to it. It gets crazy. <laughs> it, it really gets crazy. It does. Once you, once you start to head down these rabbit holes, it really does. It gets nuts. Bro, I really feel bad for your state. I really do, man. Is, it, it's causing so up. much stress and tension and complexity when it comes to the local business owner into what you can do, can't do, what is respected, not respected. Now you have fights brewing amongst people that used to get along for no particular reason other than others now feel that others are pro-death. It's it's an entire insane thing for for simply the reason that you want to go to the store to buy egg whites so you can make a cocktail, you know? <laughs> I know it sounds gross, but... I'm that guy he's talking about at the end. Yeah, I want to try that. I want to try an egg white-based cocktail, the amaretto, uh, the way he mentioned it. I got one question for yeah, you, Yeah, please. It, it, reasonably, reasonably. In your state, with the way things are going on with the business owners, what is a reasonable worst can worst scenario outcome up there? Reasonable from for, your point for, of view for businesses. Yeah, I I think you're going to see a lot more businesses shut down. I think you're going to see a lot more local businesses have to shut the doors if uh, if the rates stay the way that they are and things can't fall in line with the mandates that are in place by the state government. They're not going to allow them to open. They will retract their licenses for uh, legal and fair operation, and they're going to be forced out of business. There's no way that you can continue to pay to keep the lights on and and even pay your monthly bills and still try to get by on your own and, and survive. Uh, either you're going to see a mass exodus or you're going to see other people step up to run for office and run things differently or or something. Well, and that's the other point, right? Because like right now, it's just talk. It's just talk. There's literally nothing you can do right now other than go through the motions of exactly what they say you have to do due to the way that the, the government is structured and set up until there's a lawsuit that that may reveal uh, case law on the back end, uh, judgments, et cetera. There's, there's nothing that can be done. You have to go along with it, right? You do, right? And, and, and tr trust me, I get it. I get what you're saying and I feel for them. And, and I, I, I can't even imagine trying to decide, trying to figure out what to do if I don't know how to pay my bills next month. But isn't this a good opportunity to reinvent yourself, though? Isn't this a really listen to what Max said? Max said it and he he said a little bit, but it really spoke. It spoke volumes with me. He said he feels bad for the bartenders who can't do what they're passionate about and get paid for it. And I agree with him. But he says something else that we're just shining over. He also said there's bartenders out there that adapt it and they're doing these videos and they're uh, partnering wait. with and all these other things. Part, partnering, right. And it's being paid for or uh, put into conjunction and conglomeration with the distributor and larger things like that. I know exactly where you're going about the reinvention. Look, I, I hopped on the Facebook Live over the past week or so just having a fun night playing some songs right. for friends, and uh, I got shut down. I got shut <laughs> down by the music companies for playing a, a song a little bit too much too long, and I mentioned someone's business and they said, you can't advertise. We're shutting you down. And they blocked me from doing everything. And so be it. That was it. Like, you can't you can't do what you would do in normal life, just having fun. 
You have to pay the people the proper things and go to the proper channels and do these other extra things. Just even have the opportunity to maybe just play a couple tunes. Like if you show up at a bar, right, that bar uh, serving some chicken wings or something, you might play a couple songs. Take some requests, put some music on, just tell a dad joke or two along the way. You're fine. You're having a good time. You're just having a good night out with friends, right? Can't do that. Can't do it online. You're going to have penalties and everything in between. So I know where you're going. So like the gym, you're talking about the CrossFit gym. So someone signs up for your program. You're going to have to have a laundry list of things that they need to purchase to then follow along with you. Or you're putting together a series of videos, self-help videos and things like that. Now you're into a totally new capacity when in actuality where you thrive is teaching some of those leadership traits and, and, uh, and pushing a person to their limits in person. You and I both know. I mean, Suzanne Summers, she's a great. She's fantastic. We all saw those little leg exercise things back in the day, you know? You know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about. But, like, when when you went to Orange Theory, it was a totally different ball of wax for you than sitting home trying to do it in your living room. Am I wrong? No, you're 100% right. Exactly. So it's some things are translatable, and you could reinvent yourself. Other things are a human experience that you still need to maintain. But then now you're back again. Circular discussion. To the rules, the codes, what you can, what you cannot do, who determines what's legal, constitutional, et cetera, et cetera. And then people just fight online all all the time. To me, I just want to stay safe, keep my family safe, get through this. And when I get the all clear, I'm going out there. That's all. It's the all clear, though. You're going to go crazy at some point. Already. Right, so 25, you're coming out. That's right. right? <laughs> just going to stay in because my taxes are going to go up and I'm going to have to pay more in tax just to be home. So I, That's right. Yeah, so I can't go out, but I have to stay here. So I'm going to pay more to be here. So I may as well enjoy it here while I'm here. Maybe I'll dig a bunker. I'll have a pool underground. I don't know what I'm going to do, Rick. I I, I I tell you what you should do, JC. Move. All right. Ready? Move no, no, to no, 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 no. Well, well stay there. No, seriously. Stay there. I think Florida no. would be great. Oh, it would be great. I love the whole you're... Space Coast area. I hear Deltona's really nice, though, too. Actually, it is, bro. I know. <laughs> I'm not is. even joking around. Hear me out. Hear me out. Hear okay, me out. Okay, I'm this trying is- to hear you out. You're not using your words. You should stay there okay. and get your real estate license Ooh. because if this keeps going, I guarantee, JC, you're going to get some people who are going to get fed up and they're going to leave the state. There's going to be a lot of real estate. Oh, it's already that's- happening. It's already yeah. happening. Hand over fist. It really is. But do you know what's happening? Is that uh, they're, selling the, they're selling the houses in record time because there's so many younger people coming up that are trying to buy homes. And if they can't build new homes where the price of new homes is skyrocketing due to the cost of materials and the lack of labor, they're doing everything they can to buy the homes that are here. It's the it's the weirdest times right now. It's the strange. Yeah, it is. That's why I kind of think Florida would be beautiful. It'd be beautiful. Very big. Very great thing. New Yorkers a, move there all the time. It's ages. And we had a space a, a rocket launch the other night, which was phenomenal. Hey, spe- it was amazing. Speaking about rocket launches and things from space. This is the longest episode of HR Talk we've done in a while. What is this, four hours so far? Yeah, we were supposed to wrap up like a half hour ago, but these current (laughs) events really took over. Hey, a coffin maker says he feels cheated after he sold a rare meteorite that smashed through the roof of his home. He sold the meteorite for $14,000, but the meteorite is actually worth $1.8 million. A 4.5 billion year old meteorite crashed through the roof of a Indonesian coffin maker's home. Josh Huta Galung, 33 years old, was working on a coffin outside of his house in North Sumatra 
when he heard a loud boom sound and decided to investigate and found the 2.1 kilogram rock. The meteorite has been classified as the extremely rare CM12 carbonaceous chondrite. Hope I said that right. News reports claim it's worth $1.85 million or $853 per gram. The gentleman says he received $14,000 for the space rock. Rolla. The video is available online, as well as the expanded article over at insider.com. But feel free just to type in Sumatra meteorite, and you're going to find this uh, this story right away. It's uh, it's pretty pretty wild to think that the figure of $1.8 million was arrived after pieces of the meteor were advertised on eBay. Ultimately, at the end of the day, you know, most of the meteor, up to 80% of it is uh, worthless intergalactic mud ball, according to an Arizona professor that had uh, researched this and surveyed the meteorite. But yeah, 1.8 million and you got 14 for it, Rick. You know what, JC? There's people like that in every generation. I'm pretty sure before Rockefeller made his billions and became a, a financial powerhouse, I'm sure there was some people in Texas that he spoke to and says, oh, you got this nasty, oily stuff coming out of your land? That is horrible. Let me buy this <laughs> off you for $5 an acre. Yeah, you don't need to be dealing with all that. You don't need to deal with that. I'll take <laughs> care of that for you. I'll get that cleaned up real quick. It's time for Florida Man Stories. Florida Man Stories, once again brought to you in part by... Cocktail aficionado, internationally acclaimed Mac Radner, a.k.a. formerly known as Will Elbers. Florida man arrested after strapping a downed power light pole to his car roof on the highway. The metal pole was longer than the actual length of the car. <laughs> Douglas, Douglas Allen Hatley, 71 years old, was pulled over on a Tampa roadway on Monday after another driver reported that a maroon Toyota Camry was hauling a metal pole nearly double the length of the car on its roof, according to FHP, Florida Highway Patrol. Hatley said he found the pole on the ground by the side of the highway and wanted to sell the metal for scrap, according to troopers. The driver told authorities that he, that they had seen Hatley tie the light pole to his car a few miles away on I-4 near the 75 interchange. Troopers told Hatley that a highway maintenance worker had reported the pole is stolen. According to the Tampa Bay Times, the 71-year-old Lakeland man said he didn't realize that it was illegal to remove broken utility and light poles from the side of the road. Hatley was arrested and charged with grand theft. He was being held on a $2,000 bond. A passenger in the car was not charged. Jail records didn't list the attorney who could comment on the case at this time. Now, Hatley has a very long rap sheet, having been arrested 48 times in Florida since 1971 on charges such as grand theft, burglary, probation violation, the paper reported, citing state criminal history records. The poll itself, once again, double the size of the vehicle. Ricky Baez, over to you. You know what, JC? Even, even if our governor decided to do what the governor of New York is doing with shutting everything down, you'll still see what you're seeing today. It wouldn't matter because of those Florida stories. We, <laughs> we don't have that much common sense. But you know what, though? Wait a minute. Forget common sense for a hot second. 
if you find a huge thing on the floor, a huge pole, and it's not identified as it belonging to somebody, you could reasonably assume that it's trash and take it with you. How is that illegal? Yeah, I'm not getting into your state laws, man. You got a whole <laughs> thing going on. I mean, I got you. We I dissected you. New York and it took like 20 to 30 minutes and we got nowhere. So, I mean, with Florida, I can't even grasp to fathom. Hey, uh, we are nearing the uh, top of hour two here. You've been listening to the HR Talk program uh, featuring Ricky Baez and JC. It's been our pleasure to be here for you today. I've got 156 on the clock. Ricky, I want to throw it back to you uh, for some final thoughts and best ways people could reach us, please. Final thoughts. Common sense prevails, folks. Whether you're in an empire type of an environment where they tell you what to do, why to breathe, <laughs> all those crazy things, or you're in a free society where uh, people just kill the people next to them. It, it, it's, look, just do the right thing. Be kind to each other. Use common sense. We'll get over the Just find us anywhere. Podcast. You're, you're breaking up. You got to talk a little bit louder. I know really? you're trying to be like stealthy and, and quiet. Oh, sorry, sorry. Yes, you can find us at uh, anywhere you can download your podcast. You can find us on LinkedIn. You can find us on Facebook. All the Instagrams. Find us on there. HR Talk. Look for the screaming face. Let us know how you feel. Give us a like. Share us. We're open to the public. We've given you a lot to think about this week here on HR Talk. We've uh, done the ups and downs, the highs, the lows. We talked about cocktails transgenders we talked about crazy stuff at work we talked about the florida man we talked about new york state i can't even tell you everything that we talked about we talked about so much stuff going on with prime examples this show could have been like three shows in one but i know that you're enjoying it the entire time and to that we enjoy you and that's why your presence on social media that we really haven't asked for too much for before is greatly appreciated now more than ever. After we've rebranded the program a couple times, we're now into the upper 200s of the episodes. Your support on social media is greatly appreciated. Please feel free to find us on your social media path of choice. Let that be Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, wherever it may be. On Facebook, we we suck. We really don't have a lot of people following us there. It's fine. Instagram, we've got tons of people. Twitter, tons of other people. The people that follow us on one platform don't follow us on another platform. So please get out there. Share. Do the whole thing. I'm JC. On behalf of Ricky Byers, it's been my pleasure to be here. Drive safe. Have a good night. From the cold depths of New York State, I'm signing off. JC out. And I'm still baffled. My ties are from the World War II era. A long time ago.